0: Welcome to the American Intelligence Media, the home of the Anonymous Patriots. I'm your host, Douglas Gabriel, and today I am so thrilled to have Michael McKibben from Leader Technology with us. Michael, thank you for being with us today. Great to be here. Well, as our followers know, this is our second conversation that we're going to have, and the first conversation kind of gave a framework for how it is that your lawsuit, Leader Technology versus Facebook, came to be and how it is that you created that. But today we're going to focus in on the patent office. Now we know that you didn't just have your patent uh, stolen from you, you had an incredible basically industrial espionage fraud that was involved which is some of the top people in America, some of the most corrupt lawyers, some of the most corrupt people in America were involved in the theft of your technology. But what I want to do today is also lay out For everyone, the fact that this isn't just about you, this is about all patents and all inventors. The US Patent Office is as corrupt as it can possibly be. We could go into great details. I don't know how many details we'll go into about that particular thing, but we're gonna go into what happened with yours. But let me first, again, apologize to our um, listeners. I'm going to read a prepared statement here because the, the technical terms, the very specific things that we have to say in this expose I cannot mince words, I cannot mix up one word, so I'm sorry that I have to apologize and read this to you, but um, please forgive me as I lay the background and create a framework for what we're going to talk about today in terms of uh, the U.S. Patent Office. Patent theft is accomplished through the Patent Trial and Appeals Board and the many laws that allow the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to confiscate and control any patent deemed a national security issue. Once confiscated, the inventor is not compensated. They receive no remuneration for their outright theft of their patent. Stiff stiff penalties, including incarceration, accompany these seemingly illegal patent laws. You can't figure out how these could possibly be legal. So the Department of Defense is the one who's actually driving the committee that drives the patent office and they also are connected to the 17 cyber intelligence agencies and what they're doing is they're taking these patents to turn them into weapons, what we call the weaponization of a patent. Once stolen, the government uses a complex group of public and secret defense agencies, corporate contractors, and crooked bankers to fund the weaponization of trade secrets, patents, copyrights, and other forms of intellectual property we hear about that all the time especially China stealing intellectual property is one of the number one issues in America right now. Usually the government builds in a back door to the technology so that they can control and manipulate the weaponized property. Then they fund a front man as a stooge to run a private corporation that is built on the weaponized invention. The dummy company gets tens of millions of dollars in initial investments They're underwriters that inflate the valuations that turn into billions when the fake corporation later hits the stock market. These fake frontmen, pseudo-military corporations, stolen patents, and corporate defense contractors then magically become the largest corporations in the world. Google aligned with NSA, Facebook aligned with the NSA and CIA programs, Amazon aligned with NSA and CIA, and on and on down the line, of the huge tech companies that are consuming everything around them in league with ill intent, the very ill intent created by our own military and intelligence agencies. Leader technology and its inventions fueled dozens of the largest corporations in the world. It was outright industrial espionage at the highest governmental levels that led to the theft of leaders' trade secrets, Copyrights and patents. What is quite shocking is the list of exactly who was behind this blatant patent theft and legal confiscation. One man was principally responsible for not only conducting personal industrial espionage for his own gain against leader technology, but also wrote patent laws, acts of Congress, and executive orders. That are the framework for the legal theft of America's inventions as well as the illegal surveillance of Americans that came out of those inventions. Professor James Chandler III was one of the key architects of the tech cartel that has grown into a completely corrupt system of theft, extortion, and fraud on a global scale. Michael McKibben has been in personal business dealings and later legal dealings with the core of this evil tech cartel. He has fought them for 17 years and spent countless hours in depositions, courts, appeals, and has even taken his case to the U.S. Supreme Court. He is still at the cutting edge of the continuing lawsuits against Facebook. No one has seen the underbelly of the tech lord's real nature like Michael and his legion of ticked off shareholders. This battle again has arisen in the press due to another Supreme Court case that will be considered soon of patent theft. The battle rages on as American inventors continue to be outmaneuvered by the crooked system based on fake national security issues and are a front for crony corporate imperialism. Starting in about 1993, IBM met with this budding tech cartel as they considered what to do about IBM wanting to sell computers To the CIA and used them in foreign countries. John Podesta, Larry Summers, James Chandler, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Robert Mueller, Rod Rosenstein, and the other governmental officials told IBM in 1993 to embed a backdoor encryption key into all computer hardware, software, and firmware that is sent outside of the United States. This happened after Congress refused to approve such a thing. As a result, the tech cartel demonstrated their complete control of Congress over all technological advancements that are produced by the military's Defense Advanced Research Program, everyone knows them by the name of DARPA, and the CIA's program, which most people don't even know exists, called InQTEL. Both DARPA and InQTEL are directed in their research and policy by the Highlands Forum, a secret think tank that has essentially created our modern technological world from war toys. In the process of investigating the legal corruption in these legal cases, Michael McKibben and his shareholders studied all of these groups and their inner workings quite thoroughly. As a matter of fact, as I've said, more thoroughly than than anyone we have ever seen. So when we think about these things and we think about patents, Michael, can you tell us about what it was like to find out about this corruption and this evil lurking behind American patents and inventions, especially seeing that you've experienced perhaps the largest valued theft of intellectual property and trade secrets in history. What's your insight? What, how did that feel to have to go through that process? I mean, you were looking James Chandler right in the eye when he was lying to you, and yet you believed he was the most moral of men in America. He was our
1: attorney. Uh, he signed uh, engagement letters. He pledged to follow the rules of professional conduct. Uh, that was the last thing I expected. In, in fact, I only recently have discovered the depth of that treachery. I, uh, I like the man. Uh, so it was it was quite a shock. As an American, um, it initially was depressing to realize that our government is just completely ignoring our Constitution because as an entrepreneur, I expected the patent system to protect me. That was the reason we filed the patent, was because a patent is the only property, patent and copyright are the only property rights actually written into the Constitution. So what the the discovery that our legal system, only uses the Constitution as a ruse for this criminality was 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 devastating because uh, in past lives I've I've worked with uh, Soviet dissidents and and people like that and I've seen I saw the Soviet Union's corruption from the inside and it was it was devastating to see our
0: country running down that very same road. It's amazing. I think. When we first started to speak, I don't know how long ago that was, I showed you a few laws about patents, and you said you didn't know these laws even existed. Laws that say they can confiscate any patent they want, they can put you in jail if you try to work on it again.
1: I was never confronted with any of those patents, and I think the reason is uh, because they had a special place for us. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I think very special. Their
1: special place for us was to write us off the map, to pretend we never existed because in fact what has happened, and these are all facts, I'm I'm not talking about anything that's speculation here. It's taken almost 15 years to figure this out with a whole group of really bright people, legal researchers, university legal researchers, uh, you name it. Uh, We discovered that um, the intent was to weaponize, as, as you have said, weaponize social networking in a way where IBM wanted to claim copyright on all of our inventions and then distribute that copywritten code. They were going to then donate it to the Eclipse Foundation, which they formed on November 29th of 2001. These are all public records. Uh, And then they distributed this, quote, open source code to the entire tech world and to the entire government.
0: I think with your invention they realized how big it was going to be. I think so. So they created a new group, the IBM Eclipse Foundation, and they sat and and basically bloodletted you. I mean, they basically bled you until they had exactly what they wanted and then Well,
1: think about how how um, oxymoronic that is. IBM is the largest holder of patents in the world. And yet all of a sudden IBM's putting 40 million dollars into a group that's magically seen the religion on open source. And then they not only uh, uh, formed this committee, they got everybody and his mother to become members almost overnight uh, with this group. Now, think about normal business competition. You don't go into bed with your business competition as a member of of a group like this. That's not normal. Only the military does that. Exactly, well, that's what we've discovered through public records is, is the case. These were all guided by this whole overarching plan of a group that you introduced me to, actually the Highlands Forum recently, uh, that uh, obviously was directing traffic. And so they, they, they didn't introduce those ideas that we're gonna take your property, they just took it. And then they were gonna do whatever, they, whatever it took to make sure that we never saw
0: the light of day. And so to clarify this for our listeners, there was no patent yet created, they were putting you through all the steps of moving towards a patent, but draining you. You wrote some copyrights during that time, they the, stole those. At, at the
1: time, the, the, the term is, it, everything we did was a trade secret. So when you first invent something, it's a trade secret, and then you look at how you want to uh, uh, prosecute your, or protect your intellectual property, you either do it through keeping it as a trade secret, like Coke does with the Coke formula, or you file for a patent and when you file for a patent, the purpose of filing for a patent is so that the public can see what you've done and then build upon it. But in order for, that, for them not to have to involve us in the, this distribution uh, of what we did, they basically developed this IBM Eclipse approach to uh, magically declare everything we had just done And my investors had invested in as open source. Hey, it's free. Come and get it. Um, And of course, the the dirty little secret is there's a backdoor key and everything.
0: And so we're supposed to believe that IBM got a hold of the most lucrative patent that they've ever created—a trillion-dollar patent—and then trade secrets. And they didn't patent it. They so they then shared it with everyone even invited these people in and made sure that they got plenty of money from banks to get their company started. And we're supposed to believe, oh, that's right. I think you told me that when it came down to it, they don't know where the original source code is. They, I think, they, did they lose it or they misplaced it or they don't know it? Gosh, I don't it? know.
1: Uh, they've actually published their, their uh, uh, board meeting minutes where they actually, some clever lawyer, Actually wrote something about the origination of the code, but magically they don't know where it came from, and they don't know they don't know what to do about it. And so what we're going to do by 2004, what they wrote is they're going to re-implement all the code so that they uh, properly
0: address this this loss of the uh, the original source code. I mean, it's just a joke that is the most unbelievable story i've ever heard ibm would not give away a trillion dollar patent as open source now let me just explain a little bit something again for our readers and listeners it's standard operating procedure that the military uses well they put out an idea we want to have i'll give you one that you won't believe they want to have flying aircraft carriers okay so they put out the idea darpa says we want flying aircraft carriers so whoever can give us the idea will get the contract, and then when we see that the contract's going to work, then we will uh, give you basically infinite money to create a company. But generally what they do, for instance, let's take a program called Mimex, which they had used to create the dark net, they had used it as a search tool to uh, go after criminals, but really it was created as an entrapment tool for everyone who would ever then uh, uh, come along. So it was turned into, they had uh, Bryn and Page do a little experiment on being able to find a page on the internet and identify it. They then became the front men for Google. But Google wasn't created by them. They did one tiny add-on to what was an open source, Mm non-patented program which was given to everyone. It was given to Yahoo. It was given to everyone. So what happened in these kind of cases, it's open source because the military already has the backdoor key in it and all of that so they're well, only what giving we, it out so what you we can have observed, for them.
1: What we have observed is that our original uh, invention, uh, as I've said in the, in the first interview, was to enable individuals to work in groups and to define their own rules and then to search on their data themselves. Uh, what we've observed in this, since then is a layer was added above the database layer that included this code that you're talking about and all the other spyware code from Palantir and um, uh, you name it. And that layer was added with the very specific intent to data mine everything that occurs below that, which they then defined as a market name Big Data. So that was the reason Big Data was created was in order to be able to do all this data mining you had to get all that data out there with no encryption on it so that everything could be mined. So when you start putting encryption on that that limits the ability to see everything that's going on. So that layer was an added layer to uh, and then the other issue was the user license agreements that these guys put out at the time. Those were issued at, at the same time by Eclipse Foundation and if you see them that they're now out there which basically say if you use our system, we get to use all your data. And all that emerged out of the Eclipse Foundation as well. So there was the search engine, there was the tool, and then there was this user license agreement. And we actually have those are
0: it's all public record. We can see those. And we know it's true because John McAfee, who you know, well, I won't call him what he really is, but he's come out and said, oh, no, there's no such thing as encrypted data. Everything is open to the NSA. We know that from Vault 7, we know that from so- Snowden's Revelations, all the different whistleblowers, William Binney. So we know that the very thing you intended to do, which, create, which was to create privacy in this realm, right. was the exact opposite of what they, they intended to do. Flipped 180 degrees. And that would explain why they not only didn't want to work with you, but they didn't want anybody ever they finding didn't want out competition.: you from, And no competition. So, well, we can make sure there's no competition when... Well, let me, let me ask
1: you a question. Uh, let's say you have a choice of two systems. One system is such that you're told that all the spy agencies on the planet can search everything that you store in there. Or this other one is you own your data and we respect your privacy. Which are you going to pick? <laughs> I'm an American. Exactly. I choose the latter. Which are you going to pick? And that's why they didn't want competition.
0: Well, and then they closed up that competition because uh, David Kapos, what was he, the uh, senior counsel for IBM for decades... Chief, Chief inside Intellectual Property Council. ...becomes the head of? The patent office under Barack Obama. Isn't that a coincidence? The company that has the most patents, IBM, sends their top dog over to protect the patent office. That must have worked out well for them, uh, and you can see the kind of corruption. But recently, as you said, so many of these things are... Some... And by the way, he was a recess appointment.
1: So Lovely, and still there. The Senate. <laughs> well, he, he left in 2013.
0: Oh, okay, Still, so he he's. Gone. But uh,
1: he was there during all the um, slashing and burning years.
0: That's amazing, and you know, like you say, so many of these things, the, the level of fraud that you're now realizing is profound. And just the other day, one of our Conclave members, John Barnwell, pointed out that the Patent Office is now, all initial patents are reviewed by Serco. Yeah. And Serco is a company owned basically by Britain and has contracts in every single element of American life. And they, they, an international corporation are going to review all patents? Oh, I wonder if they're going to steal any.
1: Well, I, there's no way if I had known that I would have ever gotten involved with the Patent Office. Because what, what, what we're told is, as inventors, as entrepreneurs, is, or encouraged, is to file a patent. It's gonna protect your property. Uh, the Constitution protects your property. All the laws in writing protect your property. What we weren't told is that the entire complex is there to use the patent office as a toy box to get the best ideas, to feed them to the military industrial complex to further the wealth of the few that are unelected, unaccountable, and as an American, I find that totally
0: unacceptable. I'm right there with you because those a US taxpayer dollars being utilized by the military, giving the money to private corporations which are international, To develop weapons that are then sold to us and our enemies it is completely unacceptable well if you if you think about the date for the eclipse foundation it was
1: november 29th of 2001. well what had just happened the the month before that we had september 11th 2001. do you think that's a coincidence
0: No coincidence there. The U.S. Patriot Act was already written. That's the reason that it could be uh, enacted on so quickly. And then they tried to tell people, oh, they stopped that, and you got your rights back. Incorrect. During Obama, it was rewritten. You have less rights. The U.S. Freedom Act, Obama's act, which replaced the U.S. Patriot Act, is even worse. And then the National Defense Authorization Act gives the ability for the... uh, Department of Defense to work inside the United States and to consider all of us terrorists until well, otherwise. Well, let me
1: give it. you another example of how clever this this uh, legal construct is that they've made. If we, if we go back before two thousand eleven, back in t- two thousand and one, back to nineteen ninety six, um, the uh, and I've read everything. I've read all the executive orders. I've read all of the Patriot Act. The whole the whole thing. Wow. And
0: you'd and be the only person in America then who has yeah. probably read it.
1: And I've also uh, been the subject of abuse by some very corrupt law firms. So I, I kind of know their M.O. now. And I know how they go at their type of corruption. And lawyers are very clever about it. So here, here, here's a very clever way that they get what they want. In, in October of 1996, uh, the... Professor Chandler wrote the Economic Espionage Act and the Federal Trade Secrets Act, and they were both passed by Congress in October of 2001. What most people don't realize, is there was another act pushed through in that same vote, and it was called the um, False Statements Accountability Act, which was an act that the previous uh, act had been around since I think about 1938, if I'm not mistaken, And uh, don't quote me on that date, but it was early in the century. And the the act basically said what you would expect. Don't lie to Congress. You can't lie to Congress. You can't lie to the courts. You can't lie when you're before um, an agency of the government. And most people would say that's very reasonable. Okay, so what was the need to change that act in 1996? Well, there was a subsection B. at it. Subsection A says don't lie to Congress. Subsection B says, subsection A doesn't apply if you're a lawyer, if you are testifying to Congress, or basically any government tribunal which would include Congress. Legal lies. So, Congress passed a law that said it's legal to lie. Now, isn't that clever? Subsection A says don't lie. Subsection B says subsection A doesn't apply. That's how clever, it doesn't say you can now lie. It says subsection A doesn't apply. That's the kind of trickiness that's in all of the executive, all these executive orders, in the Patriot Act, in all of these, these documents that these guys have used to lay down this,
0: this system. Bill Clinton's impeachment, the perfect example, you know, one word, the definition of one word. So we get to see that this has now become institutionalized, and it's important to remember that Hillary Clinton was a student of Professor James Chandler, because she was a patent lawyer. She was a client. And a client. And so and also they were own big shares in Facebook and so on and so forth. So when you had to work literally with people of this evil cartel, uh, the cartel that right now is coming to light with Uranium One, uh, the people we've mentioned before, and particularly now, Yuri Milner and uh, Alicia's, uh, uh Usmanov's investment in Facebook that is now being questioned because it was obviously insider trading. And then later, 200 million, Yuri comes to Silicon Valley, gives Facebook 200 million, becomes their best friend. All these people are coming in and out of the White House. What was it like now that you realize that these were the very same uh, tech cartel that was warring against you now you get to see their crimes coming out in the news every single day. Every day, we have a conversation about the new things that come out that are directly related to your case. What do you think about that? This, this evil tech cartel is the same evil cartels that did Uranium One, Fusion GPS, the dossier, all these things. It's the same people. How does that settle on your soul? Um,
1: on my soul, I think of. Christ's words when he said, you'll know them by their fruit, Mm -hmm. and uh, their fruit is becoming
0: obvious to everyone. It's just taken a very long time. Does it make you upset? It makes me upset to see that you were ripped off, that you're an entrepreneur who was taken advantage of in every way, and if you had gotten to the patent office, they probably would have taken you back into an appeal and taken your patent from you anyway. So one way or the other, they were going to come get you, and yet you are still one of the most positive and uh, decent, wholesome and moral people that I've ever met. So how, how is it that you end up surviving this I, I don't, this don't know how I fooled you.
1: <laughs> uh, after, after the Supreme Court non-decision and uh, after we started discovering that every judge in our Facebook case uh, was holding massive amounts of Facebook interests and they all made out like bandits at the Facebook IPO. I had a decision to make because we were, were out of cash, and uh, uh, nobody would have faulted me for shutting the company down and moving on to something else. And uh, then I looked at it again, and and I'm a Christian, and, and I believe that um, God puts us in situations for a purpose. And um, I looked at it and I said, well, I've learned a lot about what's wrong with our system. I don't know what else I'm going to learn. But basically said, Okay, God, I'm going to trust you and just take it a day at a time. So that
0: day has turned into a decade. And you continue to battle with these people, and you actually have made more uh, headway and uh, gained more ground than most, and there are some new exciting developments that may actually give you a chance to have this win-win-win scenario happen. So did I get this right then? Um, In 1993, the same group of, um, I will call them evil uh, tech lords, got together and they planned how to make sure that anything that was created—software, hardware, firmware, whatever—is controlled by the government. And then we now uh, get to see that later on, IBM Eclipse, the members of that group became very wealthy. Chandler went to South America and developed his versions of it. Milner went to Russia. Bayer went to China. Uh, Summers and Sandberg, and uh, even later, Sean Parker and these people, uh, they've taken advantage of these things in America. So. Is that right? Basically, then these people who had planned this back in 1993 and 2003 got their big paycheck off of your invention. Is that correct?
1: Well, okay. First of all, this summary that I'm giving you now it has taken us uh, you know, almost two decades to figure out. So uh, I liken it to uh, right after the Supreme Court decision. I said, okay, let's just start digging. Let's, and I'm an engineer. I like facts and I don't like speculation, and uh, I'm pretty good intuitive sense, so I can I get a sense when something's wrong, but I gotta have a fact to associate with it. Uh, so what we started doing, in effect, was research. Whatever we could figure out. So we looked at the judges, we looked at their financial holdings, and that kept letting, leading us down different rabbit trails. And so we would put that puzzle piece on the table, and then we put another puzzle piece on the table. And then we definitely saw that we had, we had uh, charges against the judges for fraud on the court. It was clear as day. But then I thought, well, if we, we're gonna take these judges to court, they'll just rally the, the troops again. So we just kept digging. And, uh, and then the coincidence started tag, uh, stacking up. And then sometimes we'd read something in the news, totally off over here, and wait a second, that, that, that lines up in the timeline with 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 that so we thought well we don't know what it means but let's take that fact and put it in the timeline so we had a whole group of people all over the country including some university uh, law researchers who were helping us with this and so each time we said okay well let's do this let's um not work on speculation let's have facts that we can we can put in a timeline and then just see what the timeline is telling us and so the what i 'm summarizing now is what we 've discovered over over more than a decade, and what 's obvious now is that um, the uh, it, get, it gets into all the stuff we 're reading about with the deep state and the shadow government and and it seems to have really started uh, um, catching fire in in their agenda after Bill Clinton was elected in, in uh, January twentieth of two thousand or nineteen ninety three, because by the summer uh, they had a, they held a conference, and uh, now this was just months after Bill's in in power, and uh, and we know the, about this conference from Hillary Clinton's private email server, uh, the releases that Judicial Watch has has squeezed out of out of uh, the State Department over the last two years, and. The interesting thing was there was never a single mention of Professor James Chandler in any of those releases ever, until about the last release. And then in that release, he was named in a conference that was held uh, in June of or 1993. And it was sponsored by the Carnegie Endowment for Peace, which was obviously by now a red flag for me because I realized that that's one of the the globalist uh, entities and, uh, and it was specific. The subject was we want to give the FBI a backdoor encryption key to all uh, data that flows over the Internet. That was the subject and it was a three page list of who's who in America companies, uh, private, public, media, education, intelligence, government, you name it. They were all there. NPR, Uh, the Washington Post, the New York Times, they were all there on this conference. Well, going ahead a decade later, I attended a number of those conferences that uh, Professor Chandler sponsored. So I saw his signature all over this document. So he's listed as one of the, um, uh, the members. And the interesting thing is, guess who the first speaker was at this conference? John Podesta. I
0: was gonna guess, good old Johnny Boy. So,
1: you know, it's become clear now that John is the, the power behind a lot of thrones. And to see his name and Professor Chandler's name associated with the conference about the FBI, at that time, uh, Robert Mueller and the crowd we now know were all in the Justice Department or US Attorneys at that time. So it's, it's just the same crowd of people, 1993 to now. It's the same crowd. So they've been at this a long
0: time. So they've abused many people, not just us. Well, you and your supporters in your site, uh, Americans for Innovation, are truth warriors. It's not my site. It's a collective site. Right, exactly. They're supporters. I like to call them your supporters because there's so many of them. And uh, we get the best, uh, some of the best information we get off of that. So we consider all of you guys uh, truth warriors. And we believe that what is happening now is as truth is coming out, These very same people who were involved with your theft of your uh, intellectual property are also being caught for many other things. And that's the reason that they've come out to defend those who have been, like Robert Mueller came out to defend Comey. Not because he's defending Comey, because he's defending himself. Robert Mueller has everything to lose if truth comes out. And because he's exposed himself, there's a chink in his armor. This is a chance. For the truth warriors to actually make some head ground, uh, some headway, and uh, get some. Well, I'll have to give it to them. They've been pretty clever about hiding
1: it, uh, because when you, when you slap the secrecy um, uh, agreement on top of everything you do, it's pretty easy to, be as bad as you want, and then if it starts to get caught, you hide it. But that wasn't the country I signed up for. You know, I've I've been involved in, in. Uh, a, a number of situations around the world where I've supported uh, truth seekers, uh, people who just want to live honest lives around the planet, including the Soviet Union. And this isn't what I signed up for in America. And uh, I don't. this is not the country I want
0: for my children and grandchildren. Absolutely, and because of your work, and because of our work, and the work of many, many different citizen journalists, all this is coming out, and it's oftentimes just one report one news agency that reports a piece of news that then starts it to all unravel. James Chandler is very well hidden. You can't find him at all on the Internet. And when that happens you know you're actually looking at the ringleader. And John Podesta, we can only hope that he will go down with his brother Tony in these uh, new revelations about Uranium One. So we can say that we think that There's some light at the end of the tunnel for leader technology and for you, Michael, and we do believe that these people are going to fall, and we just have to keep hammering away and doing like you say, creating the research that becomes then basically a biographical indictment uh, simply by what it is they've done in their lives. So we want to salute you. With regard to
1: uh, justice in our case, from your mouth to God's ears. Hallelujah.
0: Thank you so much, Michael.